Hey everyone, I'm Ray. And I'm Meg. And this is the Yo Philly Podcast, a podcast where we break down the qualities and curiosities that make Philadelphia unique. Join us each week as we explore the city of brotherly love's culture, history, and traditions. Thanks for listening. Yo, Ray. Yo, Meg. Yo, Philly. Yo, everybody. How's it going? Full disclosure, I'm not feeling awesome, so my voice is going to get real weird over the course of this one. Yeah, hopefully we can get this episode wrapped up before your voice gives out completely. So we'll see how it goes. We're gonna see. We're gonna see how long <clears throat> it's already going. Uh, we're gonna see how long I can make it last. A lot of tea ready. So you're listening to season one, episode six, Philadelphia. We're actually talking about the movie today, not you know just the city because we're talking about the city always. This is a Philly podcast, uh, and we think it's important to analyze not only the city's history, culture, traditions, but also how the city is portrayed to the rest of the world through TV and film. Yeah, and additionally, with June being Pride Month, we thought that looking into the movie Philadelphia made a lot of sense. And shortly before we got going on our episode research, of course, there was Uh, an awfully timely landmark uh, Supreme Court decision, which ruled that all LGBTQIA plus workers are protected from workplace discrimination. And it was a decision that basically states that Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 makes it illegal for employers to discriminate because of a person's sex, but also covers sexual orientation and transgender status. And while the battle to end various forms of discrimination still wages on, the movie Philadelphia really has this struggle at its core. Yeah, and the city of Philadelphia played a very important role in this film, and we're going to get into that in much more detail later on. And it's obviously one of the reasons, you know, why the film was called Philadelphia. There are constant nods to the city as the birthplace of acceptance, of individual and collective liberty, freedom and equality. And some of these points are literally spoken during the movie, like it's actually part of the dialogue that happens. But there are also much more subtle and nuanced expressions of this as well. Yeah, and disclaimer, we will say this right off the top. This is an emotionally heavy movie. Yeah, like I was crying for quite some time during and after. Yeah, and it's definitely worth watching. Don't get us wrong, but I think you need to really be prepared for an emotional roller coaster if you're going to sit down and watch this movie, especially for the first time. Yeah. It's just a it's just a heavy movie. It's powerful. And Philadelphia was released in December of 1993, and was headlined, of course, by Tom Hanks and Denzel Washington. The film was produced by TriStar Pictures. Was written by. Ron Nicewainer, and directed by Jonathan Demme. And Demme was also known for his work on Silence of the Lambs in 1991. He took home the Best Director Oscar for that. He also co-directed a documentary about AIDS with artist Juan Botas called One Foot on a Banana Peel, The Other Foot in the Grave, and that was released in 1994. Yeah, so at this time, he was very much concerned with the AIDS crisis both in America and in the world at large. And the film studio felt that there was a moral obligation to make the film Philadelphia. 
Uh, Hollywood at the time did not offer a lot of homosexual representation on the big screen, which the studio felt was immoral for sure. And concurrently, there was a lot of misinformation going around about the AIDS crisis. And the goal really wasn't to make a movie for just gay people or people who had AIDS. It was more geared toward reaching a broader audience of people who maybe didn't necessarily know somebody who had AIDS or didn't understand AIDS or potentially even look down on people who had AIDS. The film also includes actors like Mary Steenburgen, Jason Robards, and Antonio Banderas. Philadelphia First opened to a limited release screened in Los Angeles at four theaters, and the movie raised a quarter million dollars for the AIDS Project Los Angeles, or APLA. The movie was widely released on January 14, 1994. And not that it matters too much, but Philadelphia is currently, at the time of this recording, sitting at 80% on Rotten Tomatoes, 7.7 out of 10 on IMDb, and a 66 on Metacritic. And I personally think those are all too low, because I think it's an excellent movie. Yeah, and we both watched this movie for the first time earlier this week, and I think we both went into it knowing that it was made in 1993. We probably need to take this with a grain of salt because sometimes older movies begin to show their age after a few decades just because the way movies are made has just evolved so much over time, so we didn't want to be necessarily too harsh on it. And we will say up front, there were probably a few too many homophobic slurs used in the film. But aside from that, I don't know if I would push to criticize it too much. And it's certainly part of the context of the movie. It's trying to address homophobia head on, but there were probably a bit too many slurs thrown around, I'd say. And that's probably more of a consequence of the time that it was made than its actual ambition as as a film. Uh, And the last thing I'll say about it is... It's a film that really forces you to have a kind of tough internal conversation as you experience the persecution of Andrew Beckett, who is played by Tom Hanks. Yeah, and it's it's truly a moving, moving story. And I just watched it, all the camera work, the way it's shot, the close-ups, the angles, just everything for me really held up. I mean, yeah, you certainly know it's the early 90s while you're watching it, but... Definitely a story that still lives up to the hype. And we should say that while the film is called Philadelphia and the city plays a very important backdrop to this story, it seems really perfect, but in retrospect, it actually wasn't the filmmaker's only choice for this movie. They were actually looking at New York, Boston, Chicago, and Baltimore when they were considering making this film. And the selection of Philadelphia was in part because the film really needed a powerful courthouse scene, and Philadelphia's City Hall was used as the courthouse in this movie. The title also seems obvious, too, but it actually wasn't the first choice either. At various points, the script had been called At Risk, People Like Us, and Probable Cause. Naming the movie after the city underscored the huge role Philadelphia itself plays in the film, with its energy and sights and sounds and real-life characters. Yeah, and I think that really comes through throughout the entire movie. The city of Philadelphia is really one of the main characters in this film. And in terms of what inspired this script, 
as we mentioned earlier, the studio is really looking to educate people about the AIDS crisis and about the persecution of gay people at the time. And as part of their due diligence, they looked to true events to inspire the writing. And to some extent, that inspired by a true story phrase always seems to be a bit controversial when we're talking about leaps to the big screen. And there was a little bit of controversy here regarding the extraction of these true stories. And the events of the film are really similar to the real-life events of attorneys Jeffrey Bowers and Clarence B. Kane. So firstly, Bowers successfully sued the law firm Baker McKenzie for a wrongful dismissal suit in one of the first ever AIDS discrimination cases. Bowers eventually died in 1987, and his family spoke with the producers and filmmakers for the movie and shared a lot of Bowers' story. And a lot of that was apparently more or less directly copied into the script with the intention of telling the story, but arguably without the proper credit. His family actually sued the filmmakers, and they settled in 1996. Now, Clarence B. Kane was an attorney for Hyatt Legal Services. Kane was fired after his employer discovered that he had AIDS, which is exactly what happens to Andrew Beckett's character in the movie. Kane then sued Hyatt Legal Services, his former employer, in 1990 and won shortly before he passed away. So both of these stories kind of combined to inform really a lot of the storyline for the movie Philadelphia. And it is conflicting in a way because, while I understand why the writers and producers sought out true stories as inspiration for the script, it seemed like they fell a little short when it came to actually crediting these stories. All right, now it's time for a break. When we come back, we'll talk about the historical context of Philadelphia and the U.S. AIDS crisis. We'll be right back. Hi, everyone. If you're enjoying the Yo Philly podcast, be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. And we're back. So the movie Philadelphia takes place during the AIDS epidemic that hit America and globally in the late 80s and early 90s. So filming for Philadelphia began in October of 1992, and by the end of that year, more than 194,000 people had died from AIDS in the United States. A year later, in 1993, when the film was released, the death toll had surged to 234,225 people. And the diagnosis of AIDS increased rapidly throughout the 1980s and early 90s. It was a really, really big deal and a very confusing and scary time for a lot of people, especially because they were trying to figure out what this disease was and how it was spread. Yeah, and in that same milestone year when Philadelphia was released in 1993, there was an estimated 2.5 million AIDS cases around the world. And for reference, at the time of this recording, there are approximately 8 million COVID-19 cases. And I'm not trying to downplay AIDS in any way, but I think it helps to give a little bit of context for the level of panic that was happening at the time. And unlike COVID-19, 
the public perception of AIDS was unfairly linked to gay people, which amplified ignorance, persecution, and homophobia throughout the United States and the world at large. So this all becomes the backdrop for the release of the film Philadelphia. And the story, too. I mean, the story takes place during all of this going on as well. And it's interesting to note that Philadelphia was actually the first major studio film to face the AIDS crisis head on. Philadelphia writer Ron Nicewainer from an interview in The Hollywood Reporter said, quote, everybody was thinking and talking about AIDS. It wasn't just one of the things that you occasionally thought of. It was in the news and in the culture quite a bit, unquote. So you can imagine that this is a big deal going on and there's not really a lot of head-on addressing it in mainstream culture outside of the news. There was a tremendous reluctance to make a movie about this epidemic, especially one that focused on those hardest hit, the gay community. And before filming began, actor Mary Steenburgen visited her friend Peter, who was dying of AIDS. Oh yeah, I was reading that she actually had to skip her first day of filming and Mary uh, in the movie Philadelphia actually plays sort of a villain in the movie. So she's not exactly cast in a positive light. And she really struggled with finding the courage to play that role. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not easy being a villain in the first place, right? I don't know, thinking more like your superhero film or something. But, you know, portraying this real life baddie villain and against something that you're watching a close friend die of. I mean, that's got to be so, so difficult. But she does she does an excellent job in the film. And she originally went to the director, Jonathan Demme, and just was, you know, saying how she was a wreck. She didn't know if she could play this part. Just really emotional and upset. Like, how is she going to get through this? And Jonathan Demme, the director, said to her, you know, Mary, it's not about AIDS. Everybody in this country is entitled to justice. They're entitled to their representation. And really kind of, you know, made it more about it's important to tell this story and we need you to help tell this story. You know, you're representing this one side of it, but you're overall helping us put out this message yeah, and I think she handled it really well, as did a lot of the cast. The movie Philadelphia is an incredibly well-told story from start to finish. And something else that's sort of interesting is that there were a bunch of extras cast in the film, 53 people who had AIDS. And sadly, by the end of 1994, after the film's released, 43 out of those 53 people had died to AIDS-related complications. That's so sad and just incredibly tragic, but really important, I think, for the filmmakers to include those folks in the film. Their names are in the credits in the beginning, too. And I think that must have had such an impact on just the production crew and the actors in general. So so they weren't just trying to tell a story, you know, with no context. You know, imagine like Tom Hanks playing a man who is infected by AIDS and he's regularly working with people on set who have AIDS. I mean, the dialogue throughout this film set must have been just incredibly impactful. And I think it really comes through in the overall messaging of the film. And as for the film's two main characters, Andrew Beckett, who again is played by Tom Hanks, and Joe Miller, who is played by Denzel Washington, who is Andrew Beckett's legal representation in the film. So both of these characters undergo amazing transformations throughout the film, albeit very different transformations. 
but their story arc is really amazing and sort of how they work together to achieve these transformations is really remarkable. Firstly, Andrew Beckett. He starts off as this hotshot on top of the world lawyer. He's incredibly successful. He's loving life. And of course, early on, it's revealed to the viewer that he has AIDS. And throughout the film, these forces of ignorance, persecution, homophobia, and public scrutiny really take an emotional toll on Andrew Beckett. And in addition to all those emotional factors, there's the physical transformation of Beckett's character as his body is slowly breaking down because of his battle with AIDS. Yeah, to, to watch Tom Hanks go through that is is quite incredible. Um, he did a phenomenal job portraying that on film. And Denzel Washington as Joe Miller is also a remarkable, remarkable character. At first, a very likable character. He is, you know, this kind of TV lawyer. You see his commercials all over the place and delivered only as Denzel can do. But you realize very quickly as a viewer that he is a serious homophobe. And I will say as a side note, apparently his character was actually written for a comedic actor like Bill Murray or Robin Williams, which I think would have just put a totally different feel to the movie. And I don't I'm, I'm kind of glad that they didn't do that because I don't think it would have been the right choice. Yeah, I'm having a hard time even imagining what that would have looked like. Yeah, I, I, I'm glad they didn't. And I really like the way Denzel approaches the character. And it definitely has the, you know, that kind of Philly, gritty, tough guy, whatever spirit to him in the beginning. I will say, like Ray mentioned earlier on, that there are several homophobic slurs throughout this film, really kind of spoken by Miller's character. And a lot of the dialogue in those parts makes you wince. You know, I'm not I'm not a fan of that. I don't think it was necessary all the time. But it's certainly the dialogue is a product of its time and really, really makes you feel the prejudice and the persecution that Andrew Beckett was facing. Joe Miller's character also expresses common misunderstandings about gay people and AIDS, which the film quickly debunks. There was this idea that you could get AIDS by being in the same room as a person with AIDS. There's a scene early on where Miller goes to see his doctor after he has a harmless interaction with Beckett. And I'm really glad that the movie addresses this so head-on, so quickly. You cannot get AIDS through casual contact at all. And by the end of the film, Miller really learns to overcome his homophobia and his connection, his relationship with Andrew Beckett really helps inform that. He becomes a, a man with a new perspective, and it's it's really enlightening to see that happen. Yeah, I would agree. And just in general, I think the film does a fair amount of debunking and addresses a lot of the sort of misinformation about the AIDS crisis. And it was kind of sobering to watch because we both grew up through the 90s and I think we're both sort of exposed in our own ways to that kind of ignorance and misinformation associated with the AIDS crisis. Yeah, I think in our lifetimes, we've definitely seen changing attitudes and changing public attitudes, mainstream attitudes toward the LGBTQIA plus community. It's been really wonderful to see. And there's still, you know, obviously a lot of work, a long way to go. But we've seen we've seen quite a lot in our lifetime from mainstream movies being made about homosexual characters. You know, I think like Ellen DeGeneres uh, coming out on TV 
that was a big deal in our lifetime. Just more more stories being told in mainstream media about these characters, even so far as in 2016, you know, when when gay marriage was legalized, we've we've seen a lot. So it's definitely interesting to go back and watch something uh, from the early 90s when attitudes were very different. Yeah. And given the context of today's climate, which has really been largely focused on racial inequality in the United States. And going back to Joe Miller's character, he is African-American and he is subject to prejudice and racial bias in the film. But at the same time, he also displays these thoughts and actions of homophobia, which really lends itself to some deep introspection as you look at his character and see him progress throughout the film. Yeah, I think that scene when they're both at the library, right, where, you know, you've got this little nosy librarian kind of hovering around uh, Denzel Washington's character, Joe Miller, kind of like looking at him like, you're a black guy, you shouldn't be here, I don't want you here. So he feels that. And then at the same time, another person approaches Andy Beckett's character who has lesions on his face, is clearly suffering from AIDS. And is also struggling with prejudice and and is being asked to, you know, go to a different room. And Joe Miller watches Andy Beckett face this and he kind of realizes, wow, okay, we're both going through something kind of similar here for different reasons, a lot of different backstory, but we're both being prejudiced against just based on how we look. Yeah, so I think all of those dynamics make for some really powerful connections between these two leads in the film. And Tom Hanks and Denzel Washington did a great job. And I think a lot of this really speaks to the movie's relevance today. Even though it's 30 years old, its message really has not gone stale. As I mentioned earlier, it does have some kind of interesting parallels between what we're experiencing now with the COVID-19 pandemic and what the AIDS crisis of the 80s and 90s was like. And there are also some connections to the protesting going on now regarding racial inequality and the battle for gay rights in the United States today. Really, these issues have these relatable parallels, such as fear of the other or the misunderstood, um, just the general spread of misinformation, whether it's in the media or other sources, this kind of civil unrest and the need to have difficult and necessary conversations with each other. Okay, I think it's time for another break. We covered a lot of ground there, so thanks for bearing with us. And when we come back, we're going to give some shout-outs to famous Philly locations that were shown in the movie and also get into some of the film's success and achievements. We'll be right back. Hi, everyone. If you want to get in touch with us and stay up to date with all the latest podcast news, future episodes, and other updates, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at YoPhillyPod or email us at YoPhillyPod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Okay, and we're back. So obviously, if your movie's named Philadelphia you'd better have a lot of scenes filmed in Philadelphia. And I believe this movie was almost, if not entirely, shot in Philadelphia. I mean, everything, which usually isn't the case for a lot of, you know, sort of blockbuster movies. They can often be filmed in several different cities, or they say it's set in a city, but then like 90% of it's just done in LA somewhere. 
Yeah, on a sound stage. <laughs> yeah, but this movie was really just through and through a Philadelphia movie, which really just gives me that much more respect for it after researching it and watching it through. Uh, the film opens up with this montage of these really famous Philadelphia scenes, and it opens up to Bruce Springsteen's Streets of Philadelphia song, which was written for the movie. And you see these iconic shots of the Ben Franklin Bridge, uh, the skyscrapers of Liberty Place, City Hall, the Liberty Bell, and all that good stuff. Yeah, even uh, bikers on the Schuylkill Trail, we yep. definitely saw that too. School kids playing in the yard, you know, all, all of this stuff, row homes, the whole shebang. I will say uh, it was very weird to see shots of Philly's skyline without either of the Comcast towers. It was just, it was like, whoa, wait a second, that's not the Philly I know. It's even just been weird in our time here in Philly to get used to uh, Comcast too. <laughs> but it was definitely, definitely a different look for Philadelphia back in the early 90s. And yeah, Ray, like you just said, there, there were a lot of key shots throughout this movie they did a great job actually filming in the city so we definitely want to cover some of those key locations throughout the movie and and point out where they are kind of give you a little uh little walking tour or audio tour rather of the streets of philadelphia philadelphia the movie style so one location 1216 arch street is the Action Aids office. And that's actually where Hank's character, Andy Beckett, goes and gets a checkup at the beginning of the movie. So that's that's a real place that they actually filmed at, which is really cool. The BNY Mellon Center, Bank of New York Mellon Center, is obviously a very iconic building here in Philadelphia. It's included in the skyline shots, but it's also where Andy Beckett's character works. So that's where the law firm he works for is located. So we see that building come up quite a number of times throughout the movie. At 1901 Chestnut Street, so 19th and Chestnut Streets, closer to the Rittenhouse side of the city, we have Joe Miller's office, so the character played by Denzel Washington. His character's office is right there. And just a couple blocks down, Pickwick Pharmacy at 1700 Chestnut Street, uh, there's that kind of controversial scene where Denzel's character has an awkward conversation uh, with a gay law student. It gets really heated in that scene. And seeing those locations kind of reminded us of when we lived in Center City and we would actually go walk by those places on our way to Trader Joe's. Remember that? Yeah, I don't miss that walk and carrying all those groceries back. It was so worth it. I will walk 12 blocks with an armful of groceries just for Trader Joe's. I really will. Yeah, and another scene in the movie takes place at the old Spectrum Sports Arena, which was demolished in 2009, and it was the former home of the Philadelphia 76ers. And if you want to learn more about the history of the 76ers franchise, go back and listen to season one, episode four of our podcast titled Trust the Process. And in the scene, Beckett's bosses were all kind of hanging out in their fancy suite watching the game. And Julius Irving stops by for a quick cameo in the film as himself, which was kind of funny. Yeah, that was really cool to see. That was awesome. Yeah. And shortly thereafter, Denzel Washington's character barges in there and informs the lawyers that they're being sued by Andy Beckett. Pretty baller move on Denzel's part. And then he just chatted it up with Dr. J. Yeah. No big deal. <laughs> and gave him his business card. 
Yeah, gave him his business card. Oh, you ain't, you're the TV lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> that whole shtick. So a couple other spots in the movie. Uh, 10th and Bainbridge Streets. That's actually the location of Beckett's loft. And some of probably the most moving scenes in the movie um, are shot at the loft. I really loved the scene there between Tom Hanks and Denzel Washington after um, the Halloween party, right? Or the costume party where Joe Miller, Denzel's character, is trying to get Tom Hanks, Andy Beckett, just ready for his testimony. And there's just a really, really beautiful scene. Tom Hanks delivers this, like, oh, this heartbreaking monologue about an opera aria. And it's just, like, I don't want to spoil it. I'm clearly, like, at a loss for words here, guys. I can't even talk about it. But it's so brilliant. So that's a great scene to watch out for. Another spot that appears in the film, just six blocks over at 4th and Bainbridge, is famous 4th Street Delicatessen, too. University of Pennsylvania Fine Arts Library is the backdrop for when Beckett and Miller have that scene we talked about a little bit earlier, where they both encounter prejudice there. It's a really important scene, and when Miller ultimately decides to take Beckett's case. Yep. We also see the Racket Club of Philadelphia. It's mentioned several times throughout the movie as kind of the thing that lawyers do when they're not preparing for cases. They're hanging out at the club and playing racquetball. There are some pretty uncomfortable flashbacks that take place. However, the actual Racket Club looked like really swanky. Yeah, that, that, was, that was quite a, quite a get up there. And another location that has a fair amount of screen time towards the end of the movie where Beckett's character becomes progressively more and more sick is at the Mount Sinai Hospital, which was apparently demolished in 2016, but it used to be located at 1429 South 5th Street. And last but certainly not least, there's City Hall, and obviously it plays a really important role in the film. You see it several times throughout, whether it's just, you know, the montage shots or these beautiful aerial shots that are kind of transitions or close-ups of Billy Penn there up on top. But it serves as the courthouse for the movie's pivotal trial. And what's really interesting to find out when we were researching for this episode is that courtroom 243, that's the actual location they filmed. So they didn't just recreate this somewhere, you know, in a soundstage in L.A. They filmed right in City Hall, courtroom 243. Very cool. We also see the exterior of City Hall several times when the characters are leaving the courthouse. And it kind of it's interesting because it kind of parallels what's going on today with protests so they have a lot of protesters outside when the characters exit. Some people who support LGBTQIA communities, other side, you know, demonizing people with AIDS. Um, it gets really heated in those scenes. So it was really interesting to see, you know, fictional or otherwise, that when it comes to protesting, Philadelphia's City Hall is always center stage, you know. Yeah, it seems to pop up time and time again whenever there is any kind of major like flashbulb moment happening in the city, whether it's the Eagles winning the Super Bowl or the backdrop for some huge gathering or protest or festivals and celebrations. People are just drawn to City Hall in a way that I think is pretty unique when it comes to public buildings. I mean, it helps too. Going back way back to like our second episode, it's smack dab center city. 
It's in the center of the city, going back to the grid, you know? You're just drawn <laughs> to the middle. There it is. As for the movie Philadelphia, it obviously received really great critical acclaim, a lot of awards and accolades, which was really huge for a movie like this at its time. Again, it was really one of the first mainstream films to have homosexual characters to address AIDS in a mainstream light. And it did really well at the box office, too. So the budget for the film was $26 million, and it actually made $206.7 million, which, not too shabby. Yeah, that's amazing, because I think one of the bigger risks taken in making this movie was I think a lot of people were fearful that people wouldn't come out and see it because they really wanted Hollywood to kind of stay out of major issues and kind of provide more of a fun distraction from the world's problems rather than addressing them head on. And thankfully, the film did quite well in spite of that. And Tom Hanks, for his role as Andy Beckett, was awarded Best Actor at the Academy Awards in 1994. And it was Tom Hanks' first Oscar win. And he won against some really big names that year, including Daniel Day-Lewis, Lawrence Fishburne, who I only know as Morpheus from The Matrix. Oh. Uh, Liam Neeson for Schindler's List that year. And uh, Anthony Hopkins was up for Best Actor as well. What a category of guys to be included in and to win. I mean, it's Tom Hanks. He can do no wrong by me. I love Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks, I love you if you're listening. You're not, but maybe you are. No, I Tom, don't know. I know Tom Hanks is a listener. Tom yeah, Hanks he's... is a listener. Yeah. We can confirm it. He's a listener an avid fan of the Yo Philly podcast. Mm -hmm. You heard it here first. So fun fact, this is bizarre. Daniel Day-Lewis actually turned down the role of Andrew Beckett. So Daniel Day-Lewis could have been nominated in this category, but for Philadelphia, had he taken this role, that was kind of nuts to hear that he turned it down. And it's not like, uh, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis needs any more Oscars, right? Yeah, and it's kind of tough in retrospect to imagine Daniel Day-Lewis in that role. And I'm sure he would have been just fine in the role and probably would have won yet another Oscar. But ultimately, Tom Hanks was really great. And I don't think there's a lot of what ifs being asked about this movie. No, definitely not. And Tom Hanks was so right. And let's be real. Tom Hanks won the following year, too. He won Best Actor again for his role in Forrest Gump. So the man's unstoppable, in my opinion. At least, you know, 94, 95. There you go. Yeah, and that year was insane for movies, by the way, because you had in the same class of Academy Award nominees Forrest Gump, Pulp Fiction, and Shawshank Redemption. Crazy. Yeah, a lot of good movies back then. There it is. I will say, too, for his role as Andy Beckett, Tom Hanks also won a Golden Globe, and he won numerous other film festival awards and other smaller awards, but a lot of accolades for him. And going back to Tom Hanks winning Best Actor at the 1994 Academy Awards, he had a pretty short but impactful acceptance speech for the award. And you can tell he was really speaking from the heart and paid homage to victims of persecution, homophobia, and the AIDS epidemic. And as part of the speech, he said, with regards to those who've lost their lives from AIDS, that the streets of heaven are far too crowded with angels, referencing all the tragic lives that have been lost as part of the epidemic. 
He also gives a nod to the city of Philadelphia, as well as the founding fathers who he deemed wise and tolerant for crafting a document whose goal was to provide equality and freedom for all people. And the film was actually nominated twice for Best Song, which is pretty cool. So once for Neil Young's song, Philadelphia, which can be heard at the end of the movie during the memorial service for Andy Beckett. And Bruce Springsteen's song, Streets of Philadelphia, which you can hear at the very beginning. So a nice little bookend of Academy Award-nominated songs here. But Bruce Springsteen took it home. He won the award. And it was actually the first song Bruce ever wrote for a motion picture. So not too shabby. The boss getting it done. And get this, Bruce won the Golden Globe for Best Original Song as well. Yeah, I believe that song did quite well at the Grammys as well. Like it really cleaned house for the year. And it was kind of funny to watch the music video for that song, seeing a really young Bruce Springsteen. And I tend to forget this, but he's a Jersey kid and he really fits right in with the sort of Philadelphia aesthetic, really. And I, I was even surprised hearing him talk early on that he did have a little bit of Jersey Philly dialect to him. How do you not know the boss is from Jersey, man? Come on. I think he's gotten to be so like larger than life that sometimes I forget his origins, but uh psh, get out of here. I guess you could say he was born to run right out of New Jersey. Wah, wah. Moving on. Yeah, getting back to more awards nominations, the movie Philadelphia was also nominated for makeup and for best original screenplay. And now I I say this all the time, but people win or are nominated for best original screenplay. And getting back to earlier where a lot of this story was like cherry picked from people's actual stories and it doesn't sound all that original to me. Like I don't think it's a fair name. Well, it's it's not it's not an adapted screenplay. It's not adapted from a book or play. It's original and that it's not adapted. You know what I mean? But yeah, I get you there. It, it It's just a different name, maybe. Nah. I just don't think that's It can be based on a true story and still be an original screenplay. There needs to be like a, a based on a true story award or something. Oh, whatever. Anyway, Ray doesn't get what original screenplay means. Don't <laughs> worry about it. All right, let me think about that a little more. And I still probably won't get it. But I think it's time for one more break. We'll be right back with some nice, hot, tasty John for you. See ya. Hi, everyone. If you're enjoying the Yo Philly podcast, be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. All right, and we are back. You know what time it is. What time is it, Ray? John of the week time. John of the week time. There it is. All right. Keeping in the spirit of film and television in Philadelphia, we're, you know, trying to get excited about things that have been filmed locally here. And what better than to highlight Queer Eye on Netflix? Uh, The fifth season just recently dropped, and it takes place all in Philly, Philly area, which is awesome. And... For those of you who are not familiar with Queer Eye, come on, you're late to the game. You're really late to the game. 
But basically, Queer Eye is a reboot of the early 2000s show Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, which originally aired on Bravo. And I was a really big fan of the show when it was first on. I remember being like a young teenager watching it and just daydreaming about like, oh, I'm just going to have these five fabulous guys walk into my life and just change everything for me, you know? So when I heard they were coming to Philly, I was like, please, please come find me. Please come find me. But they obviously picked a very, very deserving, much better suited cast of characters (laughs) to focus on. Yeah. And if you've never watched Queer Eye before, definitely give it a look. It is such a feel good show and it's really inspiring. And if you're looking for an absolute emotional roller coaster of an afternoon, give the movie Philadelphia a watch and then wind down with Queer Eye and your tear ducts will be spent. Yeah, you'll be crying like very emotional, sad tears at first watching Philadelphia and then crying tears of joy watching Queer Eye. It's all it will be very emotional, but it will even you out. Yeah, for sure. Queer Eye is on Netflix now for streaming, and each episode features the complete transformation of a central hero character who's usually nominated by friends or family. And the Fab Five get to work on various aspects of each hero's life. So the current Fab Five, you got Antony on cuisine, Tan's on fashion, Jonathan's on grooming, Bobby's on interior design, and Karamo's on culture. Uh, Karamo's my favorite for sure. I feel like every time he talks, he like intimately knows my soul. Yeah, seriously. I mean, all of these guys are fantastic and each one of them I love for different reasons. I have to say, I think my favorite is Jonathan because I just love the fierceness he brings. JVN, you know, but all of them are great. And Karamo, wow. Yeah, just speaks to the soul. So obviously we are both huge fans of the show. We just love the overall messages of positivity, loving yourself, self-care, and helping other people. And I think this season, a lot of the heroes they focus on are people who are really trying to make a difference in their community right here in Philadelphia. So that's really heartwarming to see. So there are 10 episodes in a season, and for this season in Philadelphia, six of them take place right here in the city, which is really awesome. And the other four take place in various Pennsylvania and New Jersey suburbs that aren't too far away. But it's really cool to see the city represented this way in such a positive light. Yeah, and two of the six episodes that take place in Philadelphia proper happen in the Fishtown neighborhood where Meg and I live. And those two episodes are Preaching Out Loud and The North Philadelphia Story. The first one I mentioned, Preaching Out Loud, centers on a hero named Noah, who is a gay pastor at the Lutheran Church of Atonement. And we were so very close to being seen in the background of this episode. Like, so close. I probably rewatched that part and just paused it several times to try to catch a glimpse of ourselves. Yeah, it was a really fun experience to kind of chase them down. As soon as we heard word that they were filming on site at the Lutheran Church of Atonement, we hopped on our bikes and just got up there as quickly as we could. There was a brief moment where we were sharing the road with the Fab Five SUV, which was pretty awesome. Yeah, I know. And they have the Fab Five license plate and everything. And it was just like the coolest thing. Yeah, I was so excited. Are they filming right now? We don't know. Please, please be filming. Yeah, so we were watching. We were watching very, very closely. um, But unfortunately, they didn't 
use the take with us in the background, probably because we were in the background. Yeah, being obnoxious. We definitely we definitely got yelled at, definitely got <laughs> scolded, and definitely got shooed by the crew. But it was worth it. We got to see the Fab Five in the flesh. Yeah, and the crew was like, you're not taking pictures, are you? And we're like, nope, definitely not. Definitely did. I'm sorry. Not even going to lie. Yeah. Absolutely did. We'll definitely post maybe a couple of those pictures uh, on our Instagram story or something. So check those out. Yeah, it's it's not a spoiler anymore. Like a spoiler if you haven't seen the episode, but come on. It's been out for a while now, guys. Yeah, so obviously we were on serious Queer Eye Watch last summer. I was just constantly on the lookout for them. And they were actually living down in Old City. And we were just obsessed with trying to find them and see them. And some of my coworkers and I just obsessed over their Instagram stories. We would watch them and be texting each other, like trying to analyze the background or instantly texting each other like, guys, they're in South Philly. Everybody go, 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 go now. So we were just totally on the hunt. Shout out to Emily and Sarah. We we really tried to stalk them, guys. Yeah. And that summer of 2019, it just felt like, you know, we weren't living in Philadelphia for a few months. It felt like we were in L.A. or something because that's just all anyone was talking about was you know, who's filming where. And there was another show which you may or may not have heard of. And I hear it's pretty good. It's called Dispatches from Elsewhere. And it stars Jason Siegel and Andre 3000. And they were also on the scene quite a bit. And yeah. and local Philadelphians were just eating out of Jason Siegel's hand. Like he was so friendly, I guess, and approachable for a lot of people. And people, I guess, had really positive experiences just kind of talking with Jason Siegel. Apparently he's a really cool dude. Yeah, I I got to see Jason Siegel on Frankfurt Avenue and I was like so excited. There was just a huge crowd of people just parked on Frankfurt Ave watching them film uh, a shot, that like an exterior shot outside of Fishtown Tavern. And that was so cool to see. That was just amazing. So yeah, it was a big summer for celebrity sightings. And Idris Elba was here too, I guess, filming uh, Concrete Cowboys. So that also happened uh, over in the Germantown section of the city. So just a lot of celebrities. Yeah, that was a pretty cool summer. And uh, bring it back to Queer Eye here. The episodes from this season featured so many cool places in Philadelphia, ranging from restaurants, shops, salons, and cultural slash historical sites. Uh, And the site Visit Philadelphia actually broke down each episode and highlighted all the different locations filmed in each episode. We'll be sure to share a link in the show notes uh, if you want to go check those out. For the few episodes we've seen of this season, every time there's a place that pops up that we recognize, we like stand up and point and yell at the screen. It's like kind of a fun thing. I don't don't quite know why, but it's exciting. I know. It's like... Nobody can hear us, and we both know that we see it, and we both know we've been to that place, but it's still exciting. Like, oh, oh, look, look, we know that place. It's ridiculous. And it was really cool to see, you know, us living in Fishtown. They definitely had a love for Fishtown last summer. There's a lot of stuff. And, you know, I get it. It's the stereotypical cool hipster place to be, but it was still really fun to see our neighborhood on the big screen. They filmed in different locations around here like La Colombe, Aether, Front Street Cafe, Made a Maker, Philadelphia Barber Company, which that's where Ray gets his haircut. That's pretty cool. I really need a haircut right now. Yeah. Hashtag quarantine life. Uh, Pizzeria Badia. The list goes on. 
Yeah, and outside of Fishtown, they also filmed in different neighborhoods around the city, like Rittenhouse Square, Washington Square, Old City, Queens Village, West Philly, Germantown, and South Philly. Yeah, so there's lots of Philadelphia to see on screen for sure. I really recommend it. And Billy Penn, which is a local Philly news site, even made a drinking game to play while you're watching the new Queer Eye season. And I'm like so excited for this. This seems hilarious. So just to give you a little preview of some of the rules for this, here are a couple things that you need to drink when you see it. Every time you see the Ben Franklin Bridge, which there are so many shots of that. Hello. Anytime you see William Penn atop City Hall, because they love those aerial shots. Well, it sounds like you could play this game for the movie Philadelphia, too. Yeah, honestly, you probably could. (laughs) You probably could. Except number three, the Fab Five are wearing colonial garb. I don't think you see that in the movie Philadelphia. Probably not. I missed that part. (laughs) Yeah, right. Four, someone is wearing Philly sports merch, which happens quite frequently. And five, a scepter root makes an appearance on screen. Gotta love the MFL. Yeah, and for a complete list of Billy Penn's drinking games to accompany your Queer Eye Philadelphia experience, check out our show notes and you'll find the link there. On that note, I think we need to wrap up this episode so we can go play that drinking game. I second that wholeheartedly. It's time to go. All right, guys. Thank you for listening to the Yo Philly podcast. Peace out, Philly. Bye. The Yo Philly Podcast is an original production of M. Sova Studios. Be sure to follow at Yo Philly Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for all the latest podcast news and developments. You can also email the show at yophillypod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.